Well, welcome to another Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Happy Super Tuesday to you and yours. Uh, this is the Super Tuesday edition that focuses on people who are in the public service world who are working in law enforcement. If you or someone you know works in law enforcement, we want to thank you, tip our cap to you. Uh, thank you for taking on a, a task that is often very, very difficult. It's very misunderstood in some areas. I mean, we, we don't we see all the investigative reports you know the firefighters are collecting three hundred thousand dollars a year and the police officers and you know, blah 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 and then we see the things about rogue cops and we know that not every cop is rogue but we also understand too that a lot of it don't a lot of us don't really understand what law enforcement entails and what it's meant to us here in the united states its origins its history and how we can actually i think do a better job of not only appreciating that but also to, to understand what it means to serve in law enforcement. So today is actually uh, National Law Enforcement Recognition Day, National Law Enforcement Awareness Day. And uh, today here on the program, we're going to get into a conversation just about what it means to work in law enforcement. But also, I've got a couple of resources available for you. Super resource happy here on the Bottom Line Show. Uh, resources that I think will be of great benefit to those of us in the body of Christ as we think about the men and women of law enforcement. Now, oftentimes, and I'll say this in, hopefully in such a way that it doesn't come off as condescending or trite. Um, it's very easy when you're a kid in America and you grow up in certain parts of the country and in certain pockets of the country, as it were, based on ethnicity or whatever, to have kind of a, what might be considered by some to be a blind allegiance for blind allegiance for the law enforcement and military of the world. That's that was my experience. I know that was experience of a lot of my friends too. Um, we taught our kids when they were growing up. You know that when you saw a police officer, even if you didn't know their names, you would call them officer friendly, right? I mean, the, the idea was you would trust them, and there was a lot of uh, faith and hope placed into that. And obviously, you know, when you think about what law enforcement does in the culture, this really is a reflection of God's love for everything that he created, knowing that every person he created is not going to return that kindness and care and concern, even though we desperately need him uh, more than he needs us. We need him, he wants us. That That's kind of how the relationship works. And so we have two forms of government that Christians abide by and one that governs the world. The one that governs the world is the temporal government, and that's the president and the governors and the senators and all that stuff. And those who are working in law enforcement do just that. They enforce the laws that are passed by the legislatures and signed in by the governors, the executive branches, etc. And, and it's amazing to me how many people either have a really good experience with the police or a really lousy experience with the police, and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of in-between. And I think one way that we in, as Christians can bridge that gap and meet people where they are is just to hear their story of how law enforcement either, you know, the dad was a cop, mom was a cop, you know, the, the, the family stories where they've worked and served admirably and, and you know, and, and diligently, and I think honorably for years, those stories need to be heard, but also to hear the stories of people who had rougher experiences with the police officers and, and finding out what that's like. I, I often mention, you've heard me share this many times here on the Bottom Line Show, my friend, Pastor Cedric Brown, who was a uh, professional football player playing in the NFL for the Eagles, I believe, and the Patriots, a defensive back. Went to Washington State on a full-ride scholarship, grew up in Compton. And Cedric now pastors a church in New Jersey. And he and I had a conversation, this is probably nine years ago now, 
here on the Bottom Line Show, was after Donald Sterling, who was the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers at the time and had made some very racially insensitive comments. I just got to meet Cedric through a friend, and he came on with me, and we spent two hours here on this program uh, taking calls, having reaction. We spent the first 45 minutes where I just said, okay, Cedric, I'm a white guy who was born in Whittier and raised in Orange County. You're an African-American dude who was raised in Compton. You tell me, and we're about the same age. So you tell me what your experience was like growing up. And so he asked me a question. He said, Roger, when you were 16, did you get your driver's license? I said, yeah. And he said, I did too. And, I, and then he said, were you ever pulled over? And I said, well, one time when I was in middle school, I got pulled over riding my 10 speed. I was uh, at a traffic light and I was in the left turn lane. And I knew that I could get ahead of the cars. And I, I wasn't just going to walk on the pedestrian side. So the minute the light turned green, there was no arrow for me. I raced across the intersection on my bike as fast as I could so I wouldn't get hit. And a cop pulled me over and he asked me for my ID. He thought I looked older than I actually was. I was 13 at the time. And I pulled out my middle school ID card. And I said, this is the only ID I have on me. And he said, well, you made an illegal left turn. And I didn't know that because I hadn't had driver's ed yet. And so he, he said, you know, uh, just next time take the crosswalk. And I said, okay, that's fine. And I said, that's my only real run-in with the law. And he said, let me tell you about my first run-in with the law. When I was driving, he said, I was driving in a car, uh, my parents' car, it's a hot summer afternoon, and uh, we had a buddy in the car, and we got pulled over by a couple of uh, L.A. police officers. And I said, were you doing anything wrong? He said, no. They had us get out of the car. It's a hot summer afternoon, and we had to place our hands on the hood of the car. I said, oh, my gosh. What were they doing? He said, well, they were running our license plate, running our driver's licenses to make sure they were legit. And this is back in the late 70s. So it's not nearly as sophisticated as they can do right now. And he said, and every time our hands are burning, every time we pull our hands off of the hood, they tell us, put them back on again. I said, but you didn't do anything wrong. And he said, I know. And I thought to myself, I could not imagine anything like, happening, that, like that happening to me when I was a child with police officers, but he could. So we began to bring in this understanding of you know, where we came from. And not to say, you know, Cedric obviously went to seminary, played, you know, played Division One football. He had a, he's had a really great life, but those moments stay with you. And so when I think about National Law Enforcement Day, I want to make sure that I can celebrate the people in law enforcement, good God-honoring men and women who are working to preserve this culture, knowing that not everybody who is being governed by these rules wants to play by the rules. And it makes their job very difficult. But also understanding, too, that sometimes things can happen to people when they get in a position like law enforcement. And they have the opportunity to kind of lord over that authority on other people and what can happen when those things are taken basically out of control. Um, you know, when you think about it, there really wasn't uh, law enforcement, uh, not a structurally sound, you know, like we think about our police department right now. I mean, we, <laughs> there's a reason they called the Western U.S. the wild, wild west, right? It just everybody kind of, you know, took on things that they wanted. The emergency services that we take for granted, like police officers, firefighters, et cetera, et cetera, it wasn't until the mid-1800s that a lot of people uh, thought it would be a good idea if cities controlled this. It used to just be volunteers. I, I mean, the, that stuff you used to see, the, the old Western, you know, here's the marshal in this town, that type of stuff. It was kind of up to the people. But over time as the wild, wild west type of mentality went away and America became a little more domesticated, local authorities thought, you know, th this is going to help to stop civil unrest and 
labor strikes, you know, whether it's that or just making sure that a huge sporting event doesn't get out of control or, you know, then there's the proverbial, um, you know, we need help getting our cat out of a tree. You know, I mean, that's that's where this all comes from. And so in 2015, uh, National Law Enforcement Appreciation Day was created. And the idea was uh, there was an organization called COPS, Concerns of Police Survivors. And uh, basically that what they were looking to do is to say, we want to thank law enforcers for doing the job that they do, but we also need to know, that, let people know in the communities that law enforcement is a very difficult job. And, you know, uh, let's face it, this was something that w- it started in 2015. You remember what happened in Ferguson, Missouri in 2014. Um, the, the idea was to say, hey, look, we want to give an honest portrayal of what how difficult police work is we want to give appreciation and respect to those who handle this job honorably also knowing too that as christians and as americans we want to stand in the gap for people who have experienced abuse at the hands of people serving in law enforcement first responder and that type of thing so today we commemorate national law enforcement uh a day and if you serve or have served in law enforcement right now, I think about uh, Frances Carrillo, who used to produce the Bottom Line show about a decade ago, and her husband, uh, Lorenzo, used to serve not only in the military, but then he served as a, a police sergeant in Santa Ana Police Department for a number of years before they retired back to Texas. Uh, I'm grateful. Uh, I think of uh, the, the number of people that I met through my church who have served in law enforcement, and I'm grateful for those. And I also, at the same time, I hold those people up. I also am mindful of people like Cedric Brown and others who've experienced brutality and, uh, and mistreatment at the hands of people who were working in law enforcement and either snapped on the job or maybe they got into it for the wrong reasons. But Heavenly Father, we come before you today knowing that the men and women who are serving us to try to keep our community safe through law enforcement have a very difficult task and we lift them up to you today. We thank you for the ones who are serving honorably and nobly. And we pray, Father, that as there are those who are being more exposed because of body cameras and people asking questions about the so-called rogue cop, I pray that you would begin to help us to, to stand up to injustices that have been committed as well. I believe this is kind of a cognitive dissonance that we in the body of Christ can hold dear to. Uh, supporting those in law enforcement who serve honorably and also seeking to uh, correct, course correct, and uh, cause repentance among those who have not. Uh, Father, thank you for this day and for everyone who serves and is part of this broadcast family as well. We ask all these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen indeed. Hey, um, on the other side of this break, we're going to get into a conversation about this very issue of what it's like to be a police officer, what it's like to be a first responder, and how we can help them uh, with the inevitable dangers that their profession actually presents them with. Um, Adam Davis is going to join me. Adam is uh, part of an organization. Uh, He's a motivational speaker, former law enforcement officer, and uh, he has uh, been working for uh, a devotee. He's been working on this issue of helping to honor those and uh, dedicating his life, actually, to helping those who are uh, navigating the challenges of uh, what it's like to serve in law enforcement and also being a first responder as well. He's the author of a number of books, uh, Behind the Badge, 365 Daily Devotionals for Law Enforcement, Bulletproof Marriage, a 90-Day Devotional, and uh, On Spiritual Combat, which we've talked to him about recently. Um, The book we're going to get into today is one that's simply called Prayers and Promises for First Responders. 
And it's something that uh, as we think about what the first responders were called to do, not only after 9-11, but after any kind of emergency and especially during the COVID pandemic, these prayers and promises for people, especially in law enforcement today, um, are things that we can be lifting up for them as they out, go out and serve. And we do have a number of copies of this book we'll be giving away today as well in honor of National Law Enforcement Day. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. Adam Davis joins me next as the bottom line continues. Here's Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services with a reminder that your investments do more than just make money. They actually change lives. This Christmas, we gave our family the gift of life. So I thought, let's do the same for our Wilson Financial clients. A way of saying thank you for being in partnership with us in the ministry. What we're going to do to honor our clients is we're going to fund 100 ultrasounds per month, each month for the next 12 months through preborn. Also, each quarter, we're going to buy an ultrasound machine. And at the end of the year, those machines will be saving an average of 1,600 children per year. We do this to honor and inform our clients of this great ministry and to say thank you for being our clients and being our friends. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. You know, the, the term first responder is a term that uh, wasn't really uh, in our lexicon maybe even 10, 15, 20 years ago. It wasn't until really the 9-11 attacks, I think, that we in the nation of the United States started to embrace it on a regular basis. But first and foremost, when you think about the role of first responders, these are the men and women who serve the public every day. And they, uh, they're working in law enforcement, they're working as firefighters, military personnel. In the medical world, we've seen first responders doing fantastic things um, during the COVID pandemic and, and now with uh, the wars and rumors of wars that are happening internationally, you know, it's the first responders who are going to be on the front line. Well, how can we in the body of Christ pray for first responders? And what does God's word actually say about uh, the situation and times that we're living in right now? Adam Davis is an author. He's a motivational speaker, former law enforcement officer, and he's the co-author of a brand new book that we're bringing to light today. And the timing just seems like it's God's timing so perfectly. Uh, it's a book called Prayers and Promises for First Responders. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Adam Davis, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, really appreciate this. Uh, opportunity to to discuss how important it is to support those who protect us and serve us here in our communities at home. To, to help us get a better feel for what it means to be a first responder. A lot of us have heard that term before, but is it exclusively yeah. limited limited to uh, medical personnel or police officers, firefighters, that type of stuff? Who exactly are the first responders in our society? When, when you think about the term first responder, I want you to take your mind back to 9-11-2001. The first people who run into danger on American soil are firemen, paramedics, law enforcement. You know, and, and until this year or the past couple of years, um, you know, I, I don't think that certainly nurses and healthcare workers fit into that. But um, I can tell you, there's no better friend for an officer who, who's been injured or a fireman who's been injured than a than a nurse that's working in the ER in trauma. And uh, my hat's off to every one of them. But when you think about first responders, it's the ones who's going to show up for you on your worst day. Uh, they're running into buildings that are blazing with fire. They're running into structures where there's a, an evil human being that's uh, doing harm to others. 
uh, they're going to go into places where just everyday ordinary citizens aren't going to go. And um, that's what makes them special. You know, and that's really the epitome of what a Christ-like love looks like. Yeah. It's selfless love. And aside from all the political propaganda the left wants to put out there today, law enforcement officers are heroes. Mm-hmm. They are American heroes, every one of them. And uh, and I think it's going to take, you know, it's going to take pain uh, for us to understand just how much of a hero they are. And uh, hats off to every man and woman who serves behind the badge, every man and woman who works in, you know, in, as a firefighter, paramedic, EMT, even communications, dispatchers. Um, they're they're all holding a line that we don't ever see as ordinary citizens. You don't see 99% of the things that go on, so hats off to every one of them, and we have an obligation to pray for them and support them. Yep, absolutely. Adam Davis is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. We're talking about his new devotional book called Prayers and Promises for First Responders. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. The role of the first responder is so pivotal and I'm glad you brought up the fact that the you know the uh, the heroistic uh, nature of the of the roles that they're playing because first and foremost you know anybody can find any one person a doctor with bad bedside manner or you know some rogue cop or whatever and then the media says okay yeah. see every cop is bad every doctor is bad whatever and and you and I both know that's not true but when we think about the, no, no. the people who are our first responders they really are taking the literal definition of heroism to its extreme. I mean, if somebody who dies a heroic death or somebody who is willing to, to be act in a heroic way, by definition, is willing to put their life on the line. And it's, it's something I think that we in the body of Christ uh, kind of take for granted that it's, kinda, it's a lot easier for us to be a Christian here than it is, say, in Ukraine, obviously, right now. But uh, yeah. the, the first responders are the ones who are in the, where there is the challenge, where there is the devastation, where it's the, where it's the gunfire or the natural disaster, whatever it is. They're the ones who are heading out there. Uh, what kind of mentality, Adam Davis, does somebody need right now to be a first responder? It seems like a highly specialized calling. And that's exactly what it is. It's a calling. It's people who say, um, I've counted the cost. Mm-hmm. I know the risk. And I'm willing to serve. It is certainly not about a paycheck or retirement because it's, it is minuscule compared to the, to the work that they do and and the risks they take. Um, personally, I think that they should be, you know, every first responder in America should be treated like a a pro athlete. You know, Mm -hmm. they should be renewed Mm -hmm. contracts every few years and paid millions of dollars. If you knew what they did behind the scenes, you know, you see the news headlines. Okay. You see them in your local community. You see about, you know, a, a kidnapping. You see about a murder. You see about a rape, an assault. Um, you see about the structure fires and, and the tragedies behind all these events that happen in our world. You never hear about the men and women who go in and do their, jo- their job day in and day out, do it well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a mindset, and that's what it is. It's someone who says, I'm going to face the worst. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to serve. And, uh, you know, a lot of these men and women, they, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to talk to you about them being a hero. They don't want to be called a hero. And, uh, but if we look at who they are and their behavior and what they do and how much we really need them in our nation, uh, they are, that's what they are. And so it's not, they don't run with a hero mindset. They run with a heart and a, uh, the heart and the spirit of a, of a servant warrior, every one of them. And I know that we've become a soft country. And we don't want to use words like warrior, but men and women who stand up against evil and stand in between pain and people who are suffering, that's what they are. 
Yes. And uh, they're good warriors. <laughs> they're not. Amen. They're not evil. That's and, for sure. Yeah, they're good, and we need them. We desperately need them. And so, you think about that. You know, we have a we have an obligation uh, as as the body of Christ, especially here in the United States. We have an obligation. We don't have to like everybody. Okay, I don't even have to agree with everybody politically. I certainly don't. But here's what we do have to do as a body of Christ. We are obligated to pray for those men and women day in and day out. Amen. That's what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. If you can't serve, you can pray. Just like what's going on in Ukraine right now. There's nothing that we can do as individuals, but we can come together as one nation. We can come together as one body, as, as churches unite, and pray for these people that are suffering and pray against the injustice and the evil that you're seeing come out of, of Russia right now under the rule of Putin. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing, Adam. Uh, this is a great conversation for us to have right now in, in the light of that. Because, And I love what you said about, you know, why is it that we put so much emphasis on athletes? And, you know, what's the phrase that I mean, people even use right now? A kid does great on a test and we say, yeah, you're a rock star. It's like, no, you're a first responder. I mean, for crying out loud, let's get our priorities yeah. straight here. And I appreciate this new book, Prayers and Promises for First Responders, because it helps us kind of keep that perspective. Adam Davis with me today here on The Bottom Line, co-author of the book, Prayers and Promises for First Responders. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. How'd you lay this out? What was the thought? I mean, obviously, you're written first and foremost for people who are working as first responders, but we can all benefit from this devotional book, too. Talk about the layout yeah. and what the intentionality of that. Well, I, you know, this really came after um, I partnered on this book. I partnered with a retired lieutenant colonel from the United States Army by the name of uh, Dave Grossman, retired mm-hmm. lieutenant colonel, uh, incredible human being, well-respected law enforcement military trainer. Uh, but the book by, that I released before this, I partnered with a force recon marine named Chad Robichaud. And so we did a, a, a devotional called Behind the Lines, and it's a daily devotion for our military and so we sat down, and I'd, I'd you know, published a book uh, for law enforcement. It's a daily devotion for law enforcement. And, and me and Colonel Grossman sat down, and we were looking at, you know, how can we, what, how can we provide something for all the first responders? And so we looked at some of the primary issues that, that they face day in and day out across the board, you know, and, and the lives of law enforcement and fire, and, you know, they're, they're all different. Uh, but they all face some of the same issues. And so we wanted to see what God's Word had to say about that. And then we wanted to put that in some context related to the to the lives that they live and the risks they take, the service they give to their communities. And so, you know, you're going to have topics covered like uh, healing, trauma, uh, evil. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna see what, what God's Word has to say about all these things, difficult topics. And so I, I really encourage you, even if you're not a first responder, uh, to, to buy these by, you know, buy them in 10, 15, buy them by the case. Use them as a resource for your church to minister to the men and women who serve in your community. That's the least we can do. That's the least mm-hmm. we can do. We have an obligation to serve them and to love them and support them, whether you use this book or not. It's a great resource. Adam Davis, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, talking about this new book, Prayers and Promises for First Responders. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of our conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and what makes today super is that we are celebrating National Law Enforcement Awareness Day, and Adam Davis is my guest. Adam is the author of a book called Prayers and Promises for First Responders. We have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have a couple of copies of the book that we're giving away today in honor of this special event. We'd love to place one into your hands. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 
800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, it's interesting when people talk about, uh, you know, we've heard this rallying cry uh, from a lot of progressive uh, politicians, especially during this election year. A lot of the people who were saying during the uh, the race riots of three years, four years ago now, uh, you know, let's, let's defund the police. I think what they, they thought, well, let's punish them. Let's take all their money away and then we won't have a police force. Remember that they were going to have that volunteer group at Minneapolis. It was going to make things all better after the George Floyd riots and everything and Derek Chauvin. And of course, what happened was about six months later, they had to go back to not only funding a police force, but actually spending more money on it. The question isn't the money that's spent. The question is how effective is it? There was one major city in New Jersey who actually did defund the police. And when they went back with a new budget, and I mean, it wasn't like they were going to have a police force. What they wound up doing is they were able to run the union out of town and hire the police officers to work there directly. And because they didn't have to pay the union fees and union dues, they were actually able to hire more police officers, manage the overtime better and the stress loads better, and crime went down dramatically. So when you hear a phrase like defund the police, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But at the same time, uh, when you hear an expression like, you know, back the blue or something like that, let's be careful to make sure that we are doing so in a God-honoring way, not just in kind of a blind allegiance way, but that we're ready to recognize that there are good men and women who serve in law enforcement and put their lives on the line for us each and every day. But also sometimes there's a bad apple or two that shows up and we don't want to completely paint all of law enforcement with that kind of brush, but we can't turn a blind eye to it either. So I think as Christians, this is an area for us to really lead the way here on National Law Enforcement Day. Uh, 800-227-5278, Prayers and Promises for the First Responder is the book. We're giving away a copy with my guest, Adam Davis, and we're celebrating National Law Enforcement Day today. We'll take a quick break and when we come back, more of this dialogue, it's a good one. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues in just a moment. I can't say enough about preborn, and I'm going to keep talking about them because I love what this organization stands for. Basically, what they stand for is the truth, the truth and the science, the truth and the science and being honest about the situation that a woman is facing when she is facing an unplanned pregnancy. Did you know this is a problem within the church? 60% of the women who have abortions in the United States do so after already having given birth at least once. 54% of the women who have abortions in the United States are church-going women if not Bible-believing, born-again Christians. So what does that say? It tells me that we in the church need to do a better job of educating people as to what's really going on when a woman tests positive for pregnancy, as they say. Go to a pre-born clinic, they'll do the pregnancy test, then they will do an ultrasound. And the ultrasound technology will show you the pictures of the child in the womb, and then they'll tell you the three options, not the two that the abortion clinics. Abortion clinics say, either you're gonna be a parent that's gonna be expensive and ruin your life, just have an abortion. The third option is adoption, and Preborn recommends adoption every single time a woman comes in with an unplanned pregnancy. 85% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and have the ultrasound choose life for their baby. You can help in this effort. Make your one-time donation to Preborn today. Go to kbrightradio.com and click on the Preborn banner. Adam Davis is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about a brand new devotional that Adam has put together along with Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. And the book is called uh, Prayers and Promises for First Responders. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, 
What do you see in Scripture, Adam? I mean, obviously, we're going through times that for us seem unprecedented, and first responders are responding to disease, um, military attack, um, you know, natural disaster, things of that nature. I realize that the Bible doesn't specifically mention chapter and verse some of these things, and yet uh, in others they do. When you're talking about you know nation ruling against nation, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, how how did you and your team grab the 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 passages that you used and and even some of the prayers that were included in this book? So the prayers and the devotionals were all based on the scripture. So we wanted to look at the at the scriptures that came out um, that were specifically related to uh, to the you know to the issues that they face every day. And um, what does God's word say about you know? Let's let's look at abandonment. Uh, Psalms thirty eight twenty one from the NIV. Lord, don't forsake me. Don't be far from me, my God. Uh, what does he say about abandonment? Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. You know, we have to make a decision every day that our assurance is in him. What does his word say about assurance and atonement, authority? You know, and God's word is rich. It's living. It's not something that is, uh, it's not It's not a history book. It is a book, it, it is a collection of uh, 66 books that is a living word that will touch you right where you are if you'll open it up and you'll read it. And so I wanted to take and look at what, you know, how do, how do each of these issues relate to current day situations, current day living for first responders. So we come together and put together some of these, uh, you know, I think it's 78 devotions that, that come out. And then uh, I always like to, to write the prayers. The prayers are so close to my heart, so near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're so powerful. They, you know, it's, I spent a lot of time in prayer over this, uh, just like I have all the other books. And uh, my heart is that this will touch as many first responders as possible. Uh, that'll provide them hope. It'll provide them encouragement. It'll give them a reassurance of peace and it'll strengthen, you know, strengthen them in their service. One of the aspects of this book that I find helpful is that there is a biblical exhortation to these first responders as well. It's not just a, uh, you've been through a lot, you know, you've been, seen a lot of things, you know, that a lot of people, ordinarily Joe, ordinary Joes like me, uh, would say, wow, I had no idea that this is the kind of stuff you'd be dealing with. Um, and, and yet you also include some questions in there that I found very thought-provoking. Talk about uh, the intentionality of saying, look, we're, we're here to encourage you. We're here to keep you pumped and keep you motivated. But at the same time, we don't want to numb you from some of the things you've been through. You don't want to lull you to sleep. It's just saying, okay, this is like God's lullabies to help you kind of ease on through from one day to the next. There really is some exhortation going on here too, Adam Dunn, Davis. No, absolutely. Let's look at, you know, look at courage. And so I want, you know, the one of the things that we want to do, motivation fades. Um, and, you know, you can go to church on Sunday and leave inspired, but by Monday morning that's faded away and you're facing the, the problems of your life mm-hmm. powerless. But if you have the discipline, if you have the discipline to rely on the Word of God and a relationship through prayer with a living God, then you're going to find victory. That's where that's where we build our resilience. That's where we build our strength. That's where we find a path to live unconquered and undefeated. You know, God's word says. Uh, you know, we talked about courage. Uh, under the topic of courage, I said, "How does courage empower you to fulfill God's uh, purpose for your life?" Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, we have a short devotion there, and then a prayer. Look at Joshua. Be strong and courageous, for you'll distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. 
don't lose your bold, courageous faith, for you are destined a great reward. Hebrews 10.35, Passion Translation. Uh, you know, I want to encourage them. This is not about some passive, weak approach to a real, authentic relationship and faith. This is to create a discipline that we no longer rely on our own strength. We rely on the power of a living God. Amen. Amen. That That is so encouraging, and, and I wonder how many people who are first responders, I mean, Adam uh, Davis, you would know this better than anyone, but how many people who get into first responder mode and you're always dealing with a crisis. You've got things changing constantly. It's not just, I go to work and I open up my computer and I can pretty much map my day, you know, in terms of what's going to happen. With a first responder, it just seems like it's, uh, I, I, I can't think of a better way to describe it. It seems like a giant game of whack-a-mole that has deadly consequences, you know, in terms of, you know, where, <laughs> where do we go next? It's coming at you and, and then the rules are changing and like if it's a medical thing, you know, what was the treatment here is going to be, you know, not tomorrow and, and that type of stuff. How... How did your training for what you got into as a first responder, did it really prepare you for it? Or how much of what you'd learned about being a first responder you actually learned on the job? Yeah, so the the initial training is is incredibly thorough, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, it is very thorough. And, and what that teaches you to do is to never, ever quit in the face of adversity. And to this day, that thread of training uh, is a fiber of, of who I am. It is a training that teaches you to never give up. That's why they put you through so much then. I don't know how it is now. And, of course, you learn a lot more on the job through experience. But, you know, you could train and do scenario training and role-based training and, and, and you know, study the law and updates and all this. But we live in a very uh, ever-changing world. And so you can almost bet that you're going to face something that you have not trained for specifically. Hmm. And that's how a relationship with God, that's how a relationship with God is. You don't know what the next day is going to hold. You don't know if today is going to be your last day here and you close your eyes and wake up in eternity. Hmm. You know, we have a choice to make every single day uh, as first responders, as American citizens, we have a choice to make whether we're going to live in a state of defeat, which starts in our mind, our approach, our faith, where we're at, if we're going to live in a state of defeat or if we're going to live victoriously. And, you know, God's Word has told us throughout the entire Scripture that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Amen. When will we grasp grasp a hold of that and, and adopt that into our thinking and the way we approach adversity? And so, yeah, the training made me a great cop. I love being a law enforcement officer. I miss it every day. Uh, but I believe that the work I'm doing now is is reaching more uh, than I could have ever reached as law enforcement. I've been gone almost seven years now. Mm. Uh, I love my brothers and sisters in law enforcement. I have the privilege of talking to them, of ministering to them, of praying with them. Uh, almost daily, I talk to one from somewhere in the United States. Mm, and uh, we, ha- we have to get back to a place to where uh, – we know that we're better as one. We're stronger as a team. And I don't mean just, you know, in a community. I mean as a nation. Amen. We have to put aside the things that are separating us, uh, dividing us, and come back together uh, and united. United as one force, as one strength. You know, we have a lot of differences, but we have to come back together as one if we're going to be, uh, you know, if we're going to be victorious in anything we do. 
I love that approach. I, I love that thought and that mindset. And Adam Davis, I think God has exact, he has you exactly where he wants you to be for such a time as this. The new book is called Prayers and Promises for First Responders. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Adam, we've got about a minute left in our time together. How can we, how should we in the body of Christ be praying for the first responders, whether it's law enforcement or medical professionals here in the States or our military fighting? How, how, what are the best prayers that we could be praying right now? You know, I want you to pray for wisdom. I want you to start by praying for the wisdom of of leaders in law enforcement. That's, you know, everybody in the administration for fire, for uh, law enforcement from every jurisdiction, you know, the city, county, state, uh, federal, across the board. Pray for the people who make the decisions. Uh, pray for the funding that they need for equipment and training. Pray for wisdom and discernment. Pray for proper communication throughout all the channels as threats arise globally that affect us here at home, that we get the information that's needed, that there's cooperation across every level in our country. But pray for their hearts. Pray for their souls. Pray for their, for their families. Pray for their minds. And pray for God to strengthen them and lift their arms. And ask him to show us ways as, as, uh, as the body of Christ how we can support them, whether it's having a church take a meal into a fire station or to a police department, uh, take a, you know, cater in 15 or 20 pizzas or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can we support them and meet practical needs? What can we do to activate and deploy the body of Christ to support the men and women here at home? Cover their hearts, cover their souls, pray for their families, pray for their bodies, and ask God to give them wisdom and discernment and strength, and ask him to go before them in everything they do. This is an evil world. It's going to continue to be more evil every day. We know who the ruler of this world is, but greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. And we're called to be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I love those promises. Adam Davis, the book is called Prayers and Promises for First Responders. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Adam, where do we find you online? You know, I invite you to visit my website, theadamdavis.com, T-H-E, adamdavis.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook, the official Adam Davis. I'd love to hear from you, and uh, let me know you heard it on the show. All right. We appreciate that information, Adam Davis. Thank you so much for your time and talent, uh, and also that prayer to to kind of send us on our way. Appreciate you you being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you so much. This is a great conversation, and especially today, if you're just tuning in and saying, why are you guys talking about the police? Today, January 9th, is actually National Law Enforcement Day, so we're grateful to have had Adam Davis with us here on the program talking about his book called Prayers and Promises for First Responders. We've got a couple copies we're giving away today here to commemorate National Law Enforcement Day. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Give Crystal a call. Joel answering the phones, too. We'll be happy to uh, get you in that drawing for as many of those books we have to give away. Sometimes, I mean, I'll say, hey, we got three copies of the book, and then I'll get the list back of who won it. We had five winners because more books showed up, and I didn't see them. So anyway, that's why I say I know we have two, uh, but I'd love to put one in your hands today. As we continue, I have to ask a question, and we've been talking about this cognitive dissonance. You know, how do we look at, you know, supporting good, God-honoring law enforcement and at the same time being able to call out the bad ones too. A lot of times people come to the Bible and they have a hard time with that same kind of cognitive dissonance. They will, you know, ask a question that might make their pastor uncomfortable and then they get kind of tossed by the wayside. But Marty Solomon, 
has put together a book that says, hey, here's the deal. If you have been beat up by the church, if you've been hurt by the church, wounded even by the church, because you brought a controversial question to the forefront and the local clergy there didn't have an answer, well, he has written a great new resource that will help you navigate those waters. The book is called Asking Better Questions of the Bible, a guide for the wounded, weary, and longing for more. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Marty's going to join me to talk about it coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Stephanie Kovar understands that personal injury help is a uniquely Christian concept. Christians sometimes balk at using a personal injury attorney after an accident, but Paul said that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. When you've been injured, it's important that the responsible party makes your temple well again. And the idea of restitution for lost wages and medical care comes from Exodus 21 and 22, where God outlines the concept of consequences and restitution. That biblical concept says that a person liable for injuring another must replace what is lost as a matter of justice. Sometimes being made whole means being compensated, and Stephanie Cover will fight for your wholeness because it is the Christian thing to do. And she is refreshingly honest. So if she feels like she's not the right attorney or that there is no case, she'll be upfront with you about it. If you've been in an accident, find out at no cost if Stephanie can help you by going to kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. One of the most important lessons in life is how to communicate effectively with people. And one of the ways that we do effective, effectively communicate with people is a way that many of us in the body of Christ don't really do a good job of. And today here on The Bottom Line, I'm joined by Marty Solomon, who's a theologian, president and director of discipleship for Impact Campus Ministries, creator and executive producer of the Bema podcast. And he is the author of a brand new book that I just love the title. For no other reason, I wanted to meet Marty just to get a hold of this title. The title is called Asking Better Questions of the Bible. A Guide for the Wounded, Weary, and Longing for More. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Marty Solomon, welcome to The Bottom Line. Thanks. It's good to be here. Thanks for making time. Well, it's, it, and likewise, I appreciate you doing so as well, because I know you're a busy broadcaster and, and Bible scholar. Um, why is it that when it comes to questioning Scripture, we oftentimes, I think the American church especially is guilty of this. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. We don't really want to dig around. <laughs> we forget all the iron sharpening iron parts of the Bible and stuff like that. Why do we in the American church not do a great job of asking good questions of the Bible? Well, I think it's just we we all come to the scripture with scriptures with our own contextual assumptions. We bring we bring the needs of our own world to the Bible when we come to read the Bible. We mm. we have our own questions, we have our own situations and problems, and we want the Bible to speak to those things. That's only natural. But then what ends up happening is we pull the Bible, we try to get the Bible to meet us on our terms mm-hmm. rather than meeting the Bible on its terms because it's having conversations that it's trying to pull us into. And when we get that backwards, it's easy to get things a little twisted pull them a little sideways and start answering questions that the Bible isn't even asking. So that's part of, I think, why we end up in those spaces. Absolutely. And one of the things that I've noticed in recent years as we've seen the growth of what might be called progressive Christianity is a lot of people are, you know, kind of reverting back to it. it it's it's a little childish, I think, but I think it underscores the point with where we are. Culture on the whole has gone from why do we allow these things to why not allow these things? And so then all of a sudden the floodgates are wide open, you know, instead of yeah. saying, well, we have laws against this for a reason, it's kind of reflecting God's natural law. Then all of a sudden it's, well, why shouldn't we have this? And a lot of people just can't give a good answer. Um, 
Talk about, you call this seeing the text in context. I mean, a lot of people, it, it would appear, have kind of moved away, even in seminaries, from the idea that the scriptures are the divinely inspired word of God, as opposed to the, I saw this, I heard this, I witnessed this. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that I'm very indebted to. You know, I've had to go through my own process. I think what the kids would call deconstruction these days. Mm -hmm. We were doing it 20 years ago before it was cool. But, um, you know, I had to go through that own pro that that own process of my own. But one of the things that I never, in light of all the things that I questioned and all the things that I had to pull apart, the two things I never had any doubts about was Jesus and the Bible. I mean, I've doubted the church. I've doubted the people around it. I've doubted the teaching. I've doubted the, the, the theology and the systems that got me there. But I've always been pretty relatively confident in the person of Jesus and the and the authority of the scriptures. And and so that's that's where I start. And that's actually why I feel comfortable asking questions and expressing doubts or deconstructing, because I know the Bible's big enough to take that. And if I keep pressing through that, I end up I think in, in in the first chapter, I say something about, I think we assume doubts always come from a place of criticism, but mm -hmm. sometimes doubts come from a place of confidence. Like we actually believe the Bible's bigger than we realize. We're missing something. There must be something that we're not seeing. And I, I think that's a beautiful space to live in. Yeah, that's that phrase, the benefit of the doubt, gets kind of tossed by the wayside if you're, you're doing the opposite of what you just described, Marty Solomon. Yep. And I'm grateful that you brought up that point. Marty Solomon, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Asking Better Questions of the Bible, A Guide for the Wounded, Weary, and Longing for More. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Is there a simple solution as to why we don't ask better questions, Marty? And what I'm thinking isn't something you address in the book is oftentimes I'll see what's happening. I was watching a promo reel for some ministry that's looking to do some fundraising and they showed all these different things. And I thought, man, that's just so American of them. You know, here are the kids sure. playing basketball. Here's the, you know, all the youth camps and all the other yep. things that we think are essential. Is it an East versus West problem that creates the, the idea that the Western church in particular will take things, quote unquote, on faith and not really ask good questions of what they're reading? You know, I think a lot of those things matter. Um, I think the bigger, I think maybe a, a more, uh, uh, maybe the best place to start is by asking a, a, a foundational fundamental question of what we call in the book, authorial intent. The inspired conversation in the Bible is the one taking place between the author and their audience. So if we can start almost every investigate, almost every exegetical project, every interpretation of the scripture by saying, what did the author mean when they wrote this? And what did the audience hear when they, that's a pretty good starting place to start asking better questions, start having a better conversation, because from there, it leads to a hundred other better questions. But mm -hmm. it's that foundational question of remembering this conversation took place 2000 years ago between a Jewish teacher and a predominantly Jewish community of faith or whatever those things might be. And that shapes the conversations that they're having, the assumptions that they're bringing to the text and all of those things. Hmm. Marty Solomon's new book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's called Asking Better Questions of the Bible, A Guide for the Wounded, the Weary, and the Longing for More. And I realized as you were talking about you know, that that idea, who, who was this originally intended for? You're going to put a lot of uh, T-shirt and bumper sticker manufacturers out of business when they can't make you know just an easy killing off of <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 11, and Philippians yeah. 4, 13. But you got to yeah. get the context here. Um, talk about the, the, you talk about something you call reading wisdom with wisdom. Uh, talk about what that 
means. I mean, a lot of people, you hear the Bible teacher, the pastor is, okay, we're teaching verse by verse in the Bible, and you've heard enough of these sermons too, where it's just like, okay, well, this is what it says, and this is what I think it means without really doing a deep study or even praying over it. Talk about how wisdom can help us read wisdom. Yeah, wisdom's always been one of the hardest parts in the Bible for me. It was one of the hardest chapters for me to even write in this book. So uh, I, even your question makes me nervous today. But that, <laughs> there are no that wrong gives, answers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but wisdom is this thing that always appears like one of the most straightforward, concrete, like they're proverbs. Like how much more straightforward can you get than a proverb? Right. And yet, it doesn't take you long to sit with a proverb before you realize you. This isn't straightforward at all. This is clouded in all kinds of complexity and nuance. Like the Proverbs will, there's two Proverbs that we talk about in the chapter that sit right next to each other. One Proverb says, answer a fool in his folly, or you'll be made to look like a fool. The very next Proverb, the next Proverb says, don't answer a fool in his folly, <laughs> or you'll be drugged into, and you're just like, wait a minute, am I supposed to answer yeah. a fool or not? And that's that all depends on the situation. And that's what wisdom is for. Wisdom's trying to teach us how to think and how to think deeper than just on the surface. It's inviting us to go down and, and get a few le levels underneath what we're used to. And so you have to read wisdom with wisdom. You have to realize that wisdom is not, the one thing it's not is straightforward. It's actually very complicated, but that's the beauty of what it is and why it comes with us into those situations. It's kind of scary, Marty, to think about the fact that what you described, the way I heard it was there's a certain fluidity to wisdom, and we yeah. don't want that. We want it to be concrete. I, I need this solid foundation upon Christ, the solid rock I stand wisdom, not mm -hmm. the uh, what you just described in Proverbs wisdom, which sounds very confusing. And that might be a little alarming, which would lead someone to say, I don't want to be alarmed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. And that, but that's, that's what makes wisdom, wisdom. And wisdom isn't um, the readily accessible, uh, you know, we might use metaphors like the milk and the, you know, the milk of newborns versus the meat of the, the, the spiritual food. But I, I mean, there's a, there is scripture is supposed to go with us and take us places. It's supposed to transform us and change us. And so that. scripture is not always going to be that comfortable place and that's okay. Marty Solomon is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, the president of Impact Campus Ministries and author of a brand new book called Asking Better Questions of the Bible, A Guide for the Wounded, Weary, and Longing for More. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Marty, in your work with Impact Campus Ministries, how's it? how long have you done this ministry? How have things changed in the collegiate world over, the say, the past 5, 10, 15 years? Oh, man. Um, I, you know, everybody talks about how uh, there's such a widening, uh, uh, a gap in the relationship between young adults and the church. And I would say that that's somewhat true. I also would say that in some weird way, I have more hope today than ever before, because they're far more curious, they're far more equipped, they're far more driven to um, find something of substance. I think part of the thing that sets them apart from their millennial counterparts is they're not here to just consume stuff. Uh, mm. They've got too much cynicism for that. And so mm. they're here to find something that, and that's, if we can help guide and steer and direct that, that's going to lead us. I mean, I mean, we're told a lot in the Bible about what happens when you search for truth and you search for God, whether or not, whether that may be the label you're using or not, if that's really what you're looking for, you're going to find it. And um, so we just got to have some good people doing the work, uh, church ready to evolve and and receive them and and do the things necessary to reach a generation. All those things are what the spirit leads us to do. So I, I have a lot that. of hope. 
Yeah, well, I'm getting hope for listening to your conversation here today about what you're describing, Marty Solomon. Marty is the president of Impact Campus Ministries, the author of the brand new book called Asking Better Questions of the Bible, a guide for the wounded, weary, and longing for more. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We haven't even gotten into the Gospels yet or uh, the apocalyptic revelations that everybody seems to be clamoring for concrete, tangible answers for. Uh, we'll solve all of those world problems in the next 10 minutes on the other side of this break as the Bottom Line continues in just a moment. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Marty Solomon is my guest, and we're talking about his outstanding book. I love these kinds of books because we in the body of Christ need to be able to ask good questions. That's one of the key tenets of the Christian faith for us as believers is being able to just kind of put the pedal to the metal and ask good questions of what God word, God's Word has to say about certain issues. Marty's book is called Asking Better Questions of the Bible, A Guide for the Wounded, Wary, and Longing for More. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Tamara, how many copies of that book do we have to give away today? Uh, we have uh, for Marty's book. Well, we do have a copy of the book, one, that we're giving away for sure. <laughs> so let's get into that. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. People are still calling in for Adam Davis's book, Prayers and Promises for First Responders, which we're giving away in honor of National Law Enforcement Awareness Day. And so when you call that number, get in on both drawings if you can. Uh, we've got one winner we'll be announcing later for Marty's book and a, several for uh, the book by Adam Davis. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, well, on the other side of this break, we will say goodbye to our KCBC audience who gets Rabbi Schneider in discovering the Jewish Jesus. On the other side of this break, more of my conversation with Marty Solomon about asking better questions from the Bible. And also, there's another GOP congressman who is scheduled to retire before his term is up. What does that mean for the balance of power in the House? We'll talk about that and more coming up next as the bottom line continues. Marty Solomon, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Marty is the host of the BEMA podcast, executive creative directed guy. How long have you been doing the podcast, Marty? It sounds like seems like it's got a, a really good uh, set of legs. Yeah, we started doing that in 2016, and it probably just motored along for a little bit for two, almost three years. And then all of a sudden, we saw this uptick and a growth curve, and then we were trying to steward something. I mean, we weren't really trying to start a podcast. We were just trying to put some online content for our students. Sure. And then it became this thing we've been trying to steward ever since. So Love hopefully it. we're doing a good job. Well, it sounds like it. I mean, you, you've got a great communicator's voice on the speaking and the visual side and then the, the writing side, of course, which is uh, oftentimes half the battle. You find yeah. some really great writers who can't speak and good speakers who aren't great yeah. writers. So yep. the fact that you're putting these two together, it's a real gift. Uh, Marty's book is called Asking Better Questions of the Bible, a guide for the wounded, weary, and longing for more. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Marty, you're no doubt familiar with the phenomenon, The Chosen, and how popular that uh, uh, web series basically has become. And one of the the reasons people seem to like it is because of the so-called real and relatable Jesus. But one of the reasons people don't like it is because they really try to adhere to the harmony of the Gospels. Um, you've got a chapter in your book about asking better questions of the Bible about that very issue of we call it the good news, we call these the gospel accounts, but then there's some places where they seem to either one leaves out something the other one put in, or there might even be some disagreement in there. How do we understand what the, you know, the core issues are that we should be reading the gospels for? 
Well, the chosen really has a a job cut out for them having to make those decisions to produce the thing they're trying to produce. They got to make some real artistic decisions about how to how to how to wrestle with that very thing. So I I, I happen to love the production that they've put together. We got a chance to interview Dallas on the podcast. We do an nice. episode by episode commentary, and I've just been impressed. And I was not going to be impressed. I was going to be a hard <laughs> sell. Yeah, but they've got and and obviously there are decisions they make here and there. But when we're doing the work of biblical interpretation and not creating a TV show or something like that. We have some real decisions to make about how we engage in what we might call the harmony of the gospels. Do we harmonize stories or not? And there's a place for that. There's a really good place to put stories together and harmonize for a whole list of reasons. But one of the things I think we've we haven't done enough of is appreciate each gospel in its particular lane because mm. every gospel writer wrote their gospel for a reason and an audience and a purpose. And so Matthew's agenda, and we bristle against that because we're like, well, things aren't supposed to have an, an agenda, but they do. They have an inspired agenda, an sure. agenda that comes from God. Matthew has an agenda that he wants to communicate to his Jewish audience. And that's different than the agenda that Mark wants to communicate to a Roman audience. And when you realize that you're like, that only makes sense. You wouldn't want to have the same conversation with a Jew than you would a Roman. And and you see that reflected in their gospels. And Luke is the same, and John is the same. So again, understanding that helps us ask a better set of questions rather than how do these stories fit together historically? What is John trying to say that's so radically different than Luke? And all of a sudden now I'm going, oh, I'm having now now I'm cooking with gas when it comes to biblical interpretation and and, and we're in a good spot. I once talked to a pastor who was discussing the issue of some of the potential challenges he faced with the the church assignment that he had. And he said, you know, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I came to this new church and anytime I try to preach a lesson or, you know, some kind of sermon outside of the Pauline epistles, nobody listens. You know, they're just, it's, <laughs> you, you give us in your book, Asking Better Questions of the Bible, uh, learning about the letters. Talk about what we can take from them. Again, obviously the context is key, but something tells me we're picking and choosing certain aspects without really understanding the full context of what Paul was writing or what Peter was writing. Yeah, absolutely. And we do love the letters. And we love the letters because they're a little bit more Greek. They're a little bit more imperative and straightforward. It's all about application. And application isn't fuzzy and cryptic and rabbinic and weird. And Jesus, he he talks in parables and his teachings have depth and color. And he's a Jewish teacher talking to Jewish audiences with Jewish methods. And it kind of throws us off. So we do gravitate because we can understand Paul's letters or Peter's, even Peter's letters or John, we understand the letters a little bit more readily than we understand the Gospels. The danger is that we have weighted the conversation in such a way that we start to interpret Jesus through the lens of Paul and Mm. the apostles, which I think would make them roll over in their grace if they knew Mm -hmm. we were doing that. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to help us apply Jesus, but make no mistake about it, Jesus is the whole point. Jesus is the culmination and the embodiment of the narrative, the incarnation of the story itself. And so they're trying to apply. And so one of the statements I make in the Paul and the Pauline chapter about the letters is, um, we tend to make Paul our ethic and Jesus our misiologist, but that's backwards. It's Jesus who is our ethic, and Paul is our our missiologist. He's the one telling us how to be on mission and what that mm-hmm. looks like. But Jesus is the one setting the setting the north star and telling us what the what the ethic really truly does look like. Well, this is great conversation with Marty Solomon today here on the Bottom Line, host of the Bama Podcast and author of the brand new book called Asking Better Questions of the Bible: A Guide for the Wounded, Weary, and Longing for More. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. 
I know there are a lot of people, we hear from them here at the bottom line, you no doubt hear them uh, either on the podcast or or through your work with uh, Impact Campus Ministries with regard to that, that, that wounding part, you know, someone who's been hurt by the church or that kind of dogmatic t- teaching. And it would be disingenuous for us to say, well, I, I'm really sorry that that's a problem for them, but I don't suffer from that. Um, how, Marty, how do we take, we've got about four minutes left in our conversation, and I want to give you enough time to kind of stretch out on this. What are some good first steps that we can take to move away from that? I mean, either because we were wounded or maybe we were doing things that are wrong and we may be inadvertently wounding other people with our limited interpretation of what Scripture actually says. Yeah, that that is really the heart of the book. Uh, we, you know, we wrote this because there are so many bad readings of the Bible, and the moment you have a bad reading of the Bible, it's easy to leverage it, to use it, to weaponize it, to systematize that, mm-hmm. and and it, that's where a lot of that wounding come from. The Bible itself, appropriately interpreted on its own, is not going to wound anybody. It's going to set people free. Right. Bad readings of the Bible may not. We, we can't trust them nearly as much. And so, to give us the tools to read the Bible well, um, what what. The tragedy of this whole thing is when we came up with that subtitle, the publisher and I, there was never a conversation about whether or not were we targeting too narrow of an audience. Hmm. There was that we nobody had to answer that question because the wounded, the wary, and the longing for more is very much almost all of us. And that really says something to where we're at as as a people. And I don't say that to be doomsday or over cynical, but we do have good work in front of us to ask better questions, to rediscover better readings of the Bible and see where that takes us. Yeah. You know, and, and toward that end, better readings. Um, I appreciate the fact that you don't back away from prophecy or or you know revelation or anything of the sort in here, because it, in an overview book like this, I mean, you really do take some deep dives or at least, you know, some, uh, uh, you know, submerging to get a little nourishment and come back up again and keep flying. Um, with all the talk about, you know, what's happening in the world right now and uh, concerns that people have, um, what? How does a resource like asking better questions of the Bible help us as Christians be able to look at prophecy or the apocalyptic type of things that are going to happen and not, well, like you put it so well, without losing our mind, you know? <laughs> yeah, it is easy. And it's easy when we want to connect the dots to our current events. And so, yeah. uh, you know, what, what we try to do in the book is after you've, and it's, it's at the end, which is good, because now we've gotten used to a hermeneutic. We've gotten used to asking a certain set of questions. None of this stuff has necessarily thrown us off. And then we get to apocalyptic literature and we start to lose our mind, but we just say, no, wait, it's the same hermeneutic. It's the same approach. It's the same set of questions. What did the authors mean when they wrote this? What did the audience hear when they when they heard it? And that's probably going to keep us away from worrying about Russia and North Korea because it's going to put us back in first century Rome and allow us to hear the story for what it is. And that's going to help us have a much more grounded, much less electric and explosive reading of Revelation or any other apocalyptic literature. Well, that's so helpful. And Marty, I appreciate the way you've broken it down for us in a in a way that's kind of, oh, I don't want to say pithy, and it's cer- certainly not easy, but there is a simplicity to it that is very refreshing and uh, hopefully very beneficial to our listeners. Marty Solomon, the president of Impact Campus Ministries, has been my guest. We've been discussing his brand new book called Asking Better Questions of the Bible, a guide for the wounded, weary, and longing for more. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Marty, great to get to meet you. And uh, for those who are watching along on uh, my hope now.com. I mean, I, I'll never rival Marnie's beard. That's for sure. I mean, he's got that going for indeed, but uh, uh, thank you for being with us today here on the program. Really appreciate the time. It's been a ton of fun. Thanks for making it. 
Great dialogue, as always, with Marty Solomon today here on The Bottom Line. And I love the concept he discusses in the book because how many times do we come to a question in the Bible and it makes us uncomfortable? Or we come to the Bible itself and those questions make us uncomfortable. The book that we're giving away today, this half hour, is called Asking Better Questions of the Bible. It's a guide for the wounded, wary, and longing for more. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy of the book that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. It's amazing to me, the older I get uh, and the further along in my walk of faith that I take, uh, and I'm grateful. I am very grateful. God allowed me to be born into a home that was a church going home. My mom and dad had us in church every Sunday uh, because my dad was the choir director. As my former pastor used to say, his parents had a drug problem when it came to church. They drug him to church. They drug him to Sunday school. They drug him to Luther League. Uh, we were the same way. We didn't really have a choice. It was my dad's job. At age 11, I accepted or I made a public pr profession of faith in Christ. Uh, by the time I was 19, though, I made the real deal. And so I've been living two-thirds of my life and most of my adult life as a Bible-believing Christian. And I'm amazed at how Roger at age 62 has matured compared to Roger at age 42 or 22. But you know, it's amazing how many people, one of the things that does help is taking your American focus off of Scripture and looking at it from more of a Middle Eastern approach. And it, not to say that, uh, you know, the American church doesn't have it right, but oftentimes we will look at a passage like uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, Behold, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans not to harm you, uh, to prosper you and to give you a hope in the future. And we'll say, boy, in my current situation right, that, right now, I like that. But if you look at it in context, what it means is the Israelites were going to be in Babylonian captivity. It just wasn't going to be as long as they thought it was. So it's maybe in that context, it makes it a lot easier when you look at your situation and say, oh man, I got these bills or I got this relationship challenge or whatever. But if you read historical books, uh, in the Bible, for example, as a source of inspiration, but also as a cautionary tale. If you look at prophetic literature and you see how unique it is, if you, if you can understand that the words and numbers and core principles in life that are espoused in Scripture, if you look at it the way Marty uh, presents it, you're going you're gonna to benefit from it. And it helps us to look at things like law enforcement, for example. Um, as not just a one-sided thing where it's, you know, it's all back the blue and everything law enforcement does is good or a couple of rogue cops mean all cops are corrupt. I mean, when you think about it, the, uh, the, the, the term cop, the English term constable on parole, most of the early police officers, and we're celebrating National Law Enforcement Day, so that's why we bring this up, but the earliest police officers were paid. They were basically hired security. And the shift from hired private security to public servant, but you've still got unions and, you, you know, there's, there's, there's still that business side of it that could be corrupted, uh, really puts us on guard. And I think the danger for us as Christians is just trying to understand this from one perspective instead of saying, hey, there's a lot of nuances to what happens in this life. The only one, ironically, who I believe is worthy of that singular perspective is God. In our lives, I mean, if we if we approach Him in the way that He is, knowing that He is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, multifaceted, just focusing on Him and His will makes it a lot easier to say, "Okay, this took a turn I didn't fully understand, but I'm finite. He's infinite. Uh, I don't have full understanding. He is full knowledge, 
And so I'm going to put, place my trust in him. And that's where I think the idea too often when we come to the Bible and there are questions that we have about it that make us uncomfortable, but if we look at these questions as a good thing, then you could say, okay, well, I see this that God's showing me now, but maybe there was a pastor who misused this same passage of scripture and it wound up hurting me. So I need to be able to forgive him to understand the truth and move forward. And that's why this book is so helpful. Um, Asking Better Questions of the Bible by Marty Solomon, a guide for the wounded, wary, and longing for more. It's up at the bottom line show, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, fortunately, we do not put our hope in horses or chariots or political entities or this, that, and the other thing. But we do, as Christians, I believe, have a responsibility to register to vote, to get out to vote, and make the vote count the best we can. But there used to be a time when we could say, well, the Democrat platform is anti-Christian and the Republican platform is pro-Christian, so we should be voting Republican, right? Well, why do more and more Democrats keep getting elected? Maybe it's because more and more Republicans are abandoning ship. Yet another member of Congress is leaving Congress early. Matter of fact, in two weeks, he's leaving. Why? Why have we had one senator and one congressman leave to become college presidents right now when we need them the most? I'm going to take a look at this and do a quick little analysis, balance, and clarity to wrap up this Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line Show. We'll do so next as The Bottom Line continues. Here's Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services with a reminder that your investments do more than just make money. They actually change lives. This Christmas, we gave our family the gift of life. So I thought, let's do the same for our Wilson Financial clients. A way of saying thank you for being in partnership with us in the ministry. What we're going to do to honor our clients is we're going to fund 100 ultrasounds per month, each month for the next 12 months through preborn. Also, each quarter, we're going to buy an ultrasound machine. And at the end of the year, those machines will be saving an average of 1,600 children per year. We do this to honor and inform our clients of this great ministry and to say thank you for being our clients and being our friends. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to Marty Solomon for joining me today here on this Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show, helping us with our cognitive dissonance, whether it be with studying scripture or uh, understanding police officers or politicians. Marty's book is called Asking Better Questions of the Bible. A Guide for the Wounded, Weary, and Longing for More. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. One copy that we're giving away today here on Super Tuesday. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. Remember when Donald Trump was elected president back on November 8th, 2016? And some people lost their minds and other people sold their stocks and other people said, MAGA, let's go, let's, let's get this together. When President Trump was sworn in in 2017, he inherited a supermajority, as they say, where the Senate was a majority Republican, the House majority Republican. And this is the now third time in recent memory where we've had an incumbent president or a president voted in who was voted into a supermajority. Barack Obama had one, Trump had one, Joe Biden had one, where Americans feared for the worst, hoped for the best, and wound up not getting burned too badly. But invariably what happened is by the time the midterm elections rolled around, you remember Barack Obama was elected in 2008, took office in 2009. By the time the 2010 midterms rolled around, we had the the Tea Party revolt and Republicans took back uh, the House of Representatives. Huge shift in uh, 
seats swapped, like 40-something seats. Donald Trump was elected president in 16, took office in 17. By the time the 2018 midterms rolled around, the referendum on Donald Trump was Democrats were able to take back uh, the majority of the Dem- of the House and the Senate. Well, the Senate came a little later and uh, wound up kind of putting a stick in the spoke of all the things that he was trying to get done. Fast forward to 2020 and Joe Biden wins the election, hotly contested, and I still think it was rigged. I don't say it was stolen, but I do think it was rigged in favor of Donald Trump not winning, not so much Joe Biden winning. And then you had, so you had a supermajority once again, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, uh, Chuck Schumer, Senate Majority Leader, and bada boom, bada bing. Well, by 2022, everyone expected the tea leaves were all anticipating that uh, Joe Biden's approval rating was low. Uh, A lot of Democrats had jumped ship and were retiring, and it looked like it was going to be a red wave, a Republican landslide. Well, it wasn't. You'll remember what happened is that Republicans wound up winning the slimmest of majorities. So they did have a majority. There were 222 uh, Republicans, and what does that leave? It was 435, 222. Well, you can do the math. Um, But nonetheless, I mean, it was still very tenuous, and not every vote went the way you would imagine it to go. As a matter of fact, Kevin McCarthy was the odds-on favorite to be Speaker of the House from right here in Bakersfield, and he wound up, or Kern County, I guess, and he wound up getting ousted by this kind of Tea Party rebellion that brought Mike Johnson into the speakership, which is, I think, a good thing. But now a lot of those same people are saying, oh, he's, he's, he's siding with Democrats. and we, He's not as conservative as we thought. But so far, Kevin McCarthy, when he was ousted as speaker, said basically, OK, here's the deal. I'm resigning from Congress. And he left early. I don't understand that, but he did leave early. And then there was George Santos and that Mickey Mouse campaign in New York. This is a guy who basically uh, lied about everything on his background, still got the Republican nomination, wound up winning his congressional seat. Afterwards, it was revealed that he had lied about so many different things about how where he went to college and was his history of this and that. And it took a literal act of Congress and a kind of a nudge from God to get him expelled from Congress. So now McCarthy's seat is empty and George Santos was expelled. And what did that do? Well, that left the Republicans with a a majority, but it was 220 instead of 222. And the 220 and 222 to 435, so down to uh, 211 on the Democrat side. Uh, But then, wait, 213, 214. So it's really tight. Well, then we got the word last week that Representative Bill Johnson of Ohio announced that he's going to resign and he's not even going to finish out his term. As a matter of fact, his resignation takes effect on Sunday, January 21st, because on January 22nd, he's going to become the president of Youngtown State University. So now that 220 majority is down to 219. What that means is if a majority in the Congress is... uh, is 217 votes. If for some reason, uh, that, or 218 to 217, that equals 435. If for some reason the Republicans don't get, you know, all of their 219 votes, they've got about two votes there to play with, or they don't have a majority. So I that's lousy for democracy. It's, you know, sign of the times that people would just leave. Was it, uh, uh, who was the other guy? Uh, not Tom Cotton, but the other... Uh, uptight guy who was always a tech. See, I've already forgot. He went to become president of Nebraska or something like that. Um, 
it's amazing how these these congressional people will just say, yeah, it's the middle of my term and I promised to in Congress. It's a two-year term. And yet these guys are jumping ship. What does that mean for Republicans? What does it mean for the Republican Party? And maybe more importantly, what does that mean for us as Christians as we prepare to cast our vote on Election Day with the Iowa caucuses coming up in a couple weeks and the presidential election will be here before you know it? I've got a couple of thoughts to share with you. We'll do a quick little analysis, balance, and clarity segment to round out the program. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the things I appreciate, and I know you do too, about preborn is the fact that they tell you the truth about where you are in pregnancy. You know, it, 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 it's amazing how the National Institute of Health and the CDC wants to classify pregnancy as a quote-unquote illness, so then they can prescribe quote-unquote treatment medication in the form of an abortion pill to end the abortion. Well, that's crazy. We know, you know and I know, that God creates each of us in the womb of our mothers, and he creates each of us uniquely for a purpose. And 85% of the women who go to preborn clinics and they don't hear the, the propaganda from the abortion industry that says you, your two choices are either abortion or misery, that there are three options. And the third one involves basically choosing life for the child and releasing that child for adoption. I want to thank a couple of people for their very generous donations to preborn. Dean in National City made a $1,400 donation. Dave in Lake Forest, a $500 donation. Uh, and also Edward in Norfolk, Nebraska, who listens online with a 48 monthly dollar donation. Uh, go to kbrightradio.com. Click on the preborn banner and make your best donation today. It's completely tax deductible. 100% of your donation goes to ultrasound technology, and we're saving lives and saving babies through preborn. Click on kbrightradio.com, hit the preborn banner today. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. You have a few moments left to get in on the drawing for Marty Solomon's outstanding book called Asking Better Questions of the Bible, A Guide for the Wounded, Weary, and Longing for More. The link is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Thanks to our friends at the Epic Times for giving us a great report that Tamara's put up at thebottomlineshow.com involving Congressman Bill Johnson, a Republican from Ohio, who announced last week that he's resigning from Congress. Uh, That means the Republican majority now is down to 219. 219 on the Republican side, 213 on the Democrat side, and three empty seats. Kevin McCarthy's seat is empty, Bill Johnson's seat is empty, and the expelling of George Santos left the third seat open. The uh, Youngstown University uh, Board of Trustees voted nearly unanimously in favor of hiring Mr. Johnson as their president. Uh, He would... Uh, will take over on January the 22nd. He says, after much thought and prayerful deliberation, I have accepted the offer to lead Youngstown State into university uh, into the future, and I will not be seeking an eighth term in Congress. As I've stated previously, I was not looking for another job because I love the one I have, serving the people of Eastern Ohio. This was an extremely difficult decision. He said he would stay in Congress for, um, and I'm quoting him here, uh, several more months, though that is no longer the case because this resignation will have happened just over a month after the announcement. Uh, with contract indicating he would start prior to March 15th, we're excited to have him on campus sooner than later. Now, what does this mean? I mean, Ron Johnson's probably, it, it's a GOP stronghold. There's a good chance that there'll be a Republican taking that spot. But it really gives us all pause, I think, on the conservative side of the aisle to say, hey, wait a minute. 
Now, a third party at this point is kind of impractical. There's no dominant leader coming up and, and showing us that Republican and Democrat aren't very good uh, choices and we should have a third option. But it makes us as Christians, I think it forces us to make a, a, an admission, a confession, if you will, that a lot of us know is true, we just don't want to have to admit it. And that's this. No political party is going to save our nation. No political party is going to truly represent a biblical worldview. And for those of us as Christians, I mean, there's a whole subset of American Christianity right now that has spent so much time wringing its hands of Donald Trump and patting itself on the back for being so morally superior to all those mouth-breathing knuckle-draggers who voted for him in 2016 and 2020. You're missing the point. John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Unity in the body of Christ is essential. It's paramount. The sooner we move past the Christian Democrat, Christian Republican label and become body of Christ Christians, then it makes it a lot easier to vote. When you vote for uh, policies instead of politicians, when you vote for principles instead of personalities, then it makes it a lot easier. Yeah, you might have to register Republican, Democrat, Independent, no party preference, whatever you want, depending on where you're voting. But let's take a look at this and not say, oh boy, that's a death knell for Christians in the political world because the Republicans won't have a majority in the next round of Congress. But rather to say, Lord, which candidates do you want us to support? Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't see any Democrat candidates right now that I would feel comfortable supporting. But I want my allegiance to be to the lamb, not to the donkey or to the elephant. How about you? <laughs> that sounds like a plan for voting for Super Tuesday? That is good news. And that's the bottom line.